What's up, podcast listeners? Very excited to share this episode of the Jack of All Trades with you as I sway in a different direction with the focus on academics and building a culture of excellence in a highly competitive football program. Today's featured guest is Matt Lombardi, who's the director of football academics at Clemson University. Some of the topics that we discuss in our conversation are Matt's unique path to working in academics, Clemson's success in regards to APR, and how they have been able to continue to break their own school records, and lastly, the experience of winning both the national championship and the American Football Coaches Association's Academic Achievement Award, which is pretty much the national championship for academics in the same year. Now tune in and welcome to the Jack of All Trades podcast. to the show, Matt. Do you mind giving us more of a brief introduction of who you are, what type of work you conduct at Clemson, and, you know, just your own story? Sure. Thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, so as, as you mentioned, I'm the director of football academics here at Clemson University. Um, going on my eighth year here at Clemson, um, my role has kind of changed over time. Been director of football for uh, four years now, but did work with them as a coordinator, um, just with a few position groups before taking over as director. Um, technically, my official uh, title here is an assistant AD for athletic academic services. Um, that's my primary responsibility is the football oversight um, from an academic standpoint, but also had some there's other duties as assigned, um, one of which is overseeing what we call our internal operations unit here, which uh, two staff members um, are admin assistant and then another full-time who coordinate our class checking and book procurement for scholarship students and all the fun reporting stuff that um, you know we're very fortunate to have the staff and all the stuff that kind of falls on other people's plates that takes away from the student work. So I oversee those staff. Um, you know, staff my own that works with football. And again, been doing it for eight years here and three years prior at Georgia Southern University. So, yeah, over a decade in the profession and still still learning, still growing, but enjoying it all the same. And that is great to hear. It's the pathway of, you know, becoming into the role that you serve in is something that I think a lot of young professionals need to hear because it doesn't just happen overnight. You kind of built yourself. One of the things you mentioned is that you've been there for eight years, but one of the things that I found really interesting is the fact that before you even got started within the athletics industry, you were a student athlete at Clemson as a track athlete. And now how does it feel serving in your current role as a alum of Clemson University. Yeah, it's pretty special, and it's a good feeling to be at your alma mater working, for sure. Um, sort of for me, you know, I didn't know this was the profession I was going to choose, even as a student athlete here. It wasn't necessarily my, you know, even a thought in my mind as I was graduating that this is what I wanted to do, but, you know, your alma mater always holds a special place in your heart. So as I got into the profession, um, I, it became an aspirational thing for me to be back here working. Um, and the other thing that's just really cool, like I, even though I didn't necessarily seek out to end up in this profession while I was in college, the impact that 
people like me had in my life, it definitely resonated with me. So when I came back to it, um, it it meant more, and to have had great role models and anybody listen to this, if you know, you're into the history of academics and really dig into it and knew some stuff. We've had a kind of few legendary people in the profession um, before me at Clemson that really were my role models that I try to um, model myself and seek advice from still, and that's uh, Wayne Kaufman. He goes by Cheech is his nickname. A lot of people may know Cheech out there. And also uh, Bill D'Andrea, Billy D, who he was the first director of um, the academic support unit at Clemson that started in the early 90s and was the director when I was a student athlete here. So it, it, it's just a great feeling to be kind of following in their footsteps. Um, I tell people a lot, like the way I look at it is, you know, our department, even in academic support, has a history just like, you know, a, an athletic program may. You know, people look at the, you know, the history of, say Clemson football and look at the coaches that came before that led to Dabo and people have that tie to that program. You know, the student athletes have that same feeling with the academic support unit and know the people that kind of laid it down and were the directors or the coordinators when they were there. So to kind of take the torch from them and run with it and kind of be able to tie back to, you know, previous generations of student athletes that have come through um, either during my time here or, you know, that have, come and graduated since I've been here, it's, it's a really neat feeling just to be able to be that, that link or conduit between generations of Clemson student-athletes by working here and having been an athlete as well. Yeah, I think that that's so awesome and humbling that uh, you now get to work at your alma mater. It's something that a lot of people within the profession really dream of and you know, serving in the role that you're serving in is fantastic, but also during your time as a student athlete at Clemson, you are able, you were able to have several accolades and accomplishments that can kind of relate to how the football team is now doing there, including just, you know, winning four ACC championships, and also individually being named to the All-ACC team as an honorable mention. Um, how do these accomplishments play a role in developing the championship mindset of the student-athletes you work with? Do you ever discuss those with athletes, and if so, in what type of capacity? Yeah, I don't talk about it often necessarily. Um, you know, I've got some memorabilia from – from my time as an athlete in the office, and I'm almost surprised, like, not that I'm like, trying to, there's no spotlights on it or anything, but, you know, very few athletes, and I guess it's just because they're young people and a little, maybe sometimes tuned out to <laughs> their surroundings, very few people that come through my office have asked about, like, the four, you know, ACC championship plaques that I have in my office. <laughs> it's like they don't even notice, but um, I, I don't bring it up necessarily, but um, I think it, it's certainly not a requisite in the profession, but it helps to have been an athlete. Um, you know, I wasn't a football student athlete, so can't necessarily tie that together with the guys I'm working with now. But, you know, to ha to understand somewhat what they're going through and the pressure and the demands that are on them certainly makes a difference. Um, to have that understanding of the other side of athletics is important. Um, and 
I'm a huge, you know, as a former track athlete, like I, I love track and what it teaches you. I mean, all sports are lessons to learn, but there's just something about track. And I guess uh, swim would be another sport like this. All these individual sports, it's, you know, it's you versus a goal. Um, it's, you know, for me, throwing the shot, putting the discus, it was, you know, sure, I'm in a competition with people from other institutions and, you know, you want to beat them. But really, I'm just competing against myself every day, and I want to do my best, and my previous best was this. So as long as I accomplish that goal and I work towards that goal, I'm focusing on me. Um, and sure, that doesn't necessarily play towards a team atmosphere, but if you do your best individually, you're helping the team. And that kind of mindset I do try and bring into the academic side of things. Um, you know, it's, it's you versus the class. You know, it's you versus the assignment. What you do is totally in your control. Um, you're not, um, you know, it's not you versus the professor. It's not you versus the student sitting next to you. Like, what you get out, what you put in. The results are going to show on the test, the paper, whatever it is. Just like for me going out to a track meet, the result I got was, a, you know, based on the work I put in. And... You know, if I did my job and I scored points and it helped the team, great. And, you know, we talk a lot. I know we'll talk about more of this in, later on in the interview. We talk about team GPAs and team goals a lot with the guys. So, you know, how, are you, how is what you're doing individually going to help the team in the goals that we've set? So from that standpoint, I think it relates. And that's just having been an athlete, a mindset that I bring to work and have in life. It's very much about accomplishing goals and the tasks you set out in front of you and basically it's you versus the man in the mirror um that's really what it's all about yeah i mean it's all about you know having an audience one um becoming better than who you were yesterday and it reflects um throughout athletics academics and just life overall uh, one of the things you mentioned during the introduction is that you might not have wanted to get started in this industry um, of academic support and to begin with when you first started within athletics uh, you worked as a assistant strength and conditioning coach at Georgia Southern University why did you decide to make the transition from act from strength and conditioning to academics yeah I think I mean I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time backing up but to tell the story how that even happened um you know i, I my undergraduate degree was in um, here we call it science teaching so i had an emphasis in biological sciences i was one of those guys that i was not a jock per se but like my world in high school was high school sports and you know that was all i knew and um, my mother was a teacher my uncle was an educator athletic director um, so my, my plan was, all right, I'm going to teach high school and coach because people that like sports, just, you know, that's what you do because <laughs> your guidance counselor doesn't tell you that there's other professions in athletics that you can pursue. Um, so my, my goal was to be a teacher and a coach, and then as I finished up my undergraduate degree, my strength and conditioning coach here at Clemson got the head job in strength and conditioning at Georgia Southern and asked me to go be his graduate assistant. So... Um, for me at that time, it was just a means of delaying um, being an adult <laughs> and going back uh, probably home and teaching and coaching at my old high school, which was kind of the only thought I had at that time. Um, and that grad assistantship turned into a full-time job, and I did it 
um, for four years, and I really enjoyed it. And I still do have um, a ton of respect for the strength and conditioning staff here and everywhere. What they do is a, is a very important to every program. Um, but really, just that that kind of whole person wellness, um, you know, physical, mental, everything. But the physical part is important to me still. Um, but I did that for four years. Um, kind of just wore on me a little bit. Uh, I do enjoy the science behind it. With my background in science, it made sense as well. Um, just got a little worn out, especially at a mid-major type of school. The responsibilities from training softball at 5.30 a.m., uh, assisting with football throughout the day, and then, um, by the way, basketball you have later at night, and they're late getting off, off the court, and you don't, they don't come in until 6.30. And those 12, 14, 15-hour days wear on you over time. And um, on top of all that, even, there were a number of football staff changes during my time there, and it just I never felt secure in my job. Um, not that I wasn't good, but every time a new head football coach comes in and we had three in the course of four years there, you weren't sure if you were going to be retained or not. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of take control of my career path. Um, I knew I was good at what I did and could be successful, but I didn't want my future to be hitched to the wagon of someone else. You know, I didn't want a new coach to come in and say, hey, we're hiring. I got my guy that's been with me forever, so you're out. Or even if it was a great coach that left and went somewhere else and said, hey, I got the job at UCLA. You want to move to California? Because I probably would have said no. <laughs> so that, it was just a time in my life where I was trying to find some stability um, to take control of my career aspirations. And even as a strength coach, as much as I enjoyed the, the workout component of it and coaching the guys, the best part the students and the interpersonal interactions, um, the men and women um, that would come through the office when they didn't have to, to, to have conversations about life or even school or relationships, whatever it was, um, it was really that interpersonal connection that I knew I wanted to work with the student population and really felt that I could better serve them and honestly what I was better at and had a passion for in the academic world as opposed to the, the coaching world. Yeah, and that relatability to the athletes helped you decide that you did want to do that. And with that being said, you made the transition to working as a academic advisor there, correct, for Olympic yeah. sports programs? Yeah, it was um crazy craziest story. Um, so I had made the decision to, to try to get into the academic world. Um, I knew my, I had earned my master's in kinesiology when I was doing the strength and conditioning graduate assistantship, and I thought, you know, I probably need a, a relevant master's degree to get into academics. So I, without even discussing it really with anyone, um, applied to the graduate school for uh, counselor education, um, was ready to get started, contacted the um, the assistant AD there who oversaw academics and compliance at the time and said, hey, you know, Keith, I'm trying to, I'm thinking about changing careers. I'm starting a master's program. Um, I'd be interested in volunteering some hours there if, if that's cool with you because I'm going to need some experience down the road. And um, <laughs> he calls me in and says, hey, you know, the 
Sam, the athletic director, Sam Baker at the time, he said, Sam and I, you know, be happy to meet with you if you want to come up tomorrow. So I walked up to the athletic director's office wearing my strength and conditioning uniform, you know, gym shorts, T-shirt, sneakers, walk in, and the AD says, uh, hey, Keith, you didn't tell Matt you're supposed to dress up for an interview? And I'm like, <laughs> what? And, and unbeknownst to me, um, they had – decided recently that they wanted to add a new position in academics there and just because they knew me and knew that I had good relationships with the students and the coaching staff there they thought I would be a good fit and it was a very at least from a professional standpoint very easy transition I don't know what it took in HR and all but they they just said yeah at the end of the semester we'll move you over and the job's yours so it it worked out super smoothly (laughs) very yeah Unusual entry to the profession, for sure, but it, that's, that was a funny story how that happened. Yeah, I mean, we all have our own unique pathways to where we got. Um, and during that time, you you were working with um, not football, correct? Um, honestly, a little bit of everybody. Um, it, when, I, when I started at Georgia Southern, it was a director, myself as an advisor, one other advisor and a learning specialist, um, and they're a you know fully funded D1 program with you know I guess it was probably 18, 19 varsity sports, and it was basically four full-time professionals. So pretty much everybody worked with everybody. <laughs> so it it was a very different setup than we have here at Clemson and many other schools have. Um, and I know they've they've grown their staff and improved tremendously at Georgia Southern since my time there. Um, but, yeah, I worked with football. Throughout my time at Georgia Southern, I worked with probably every varsity sport they had in some way, shape, or form, um, but certainly had more of a focus on Olympic sports early on. And then towards the latter, probably my last two years, was really focused mostly on football as the staff started to – grow and develop more and we could kind of dedicate people to uh, Olympic sports specifically and I could focus more so on football but even so I had football and volleyball and soccer and um, probably track all at the same time so it was <laughs> it was a uh, it was a heavy heavy workload but definitely had more of a football focus towards the end of my time there. And working with the non-football sports teams, do you think that that has helped your uh, career in some fashion? Yeah, I think it definitely has. And um, even as I had more of a football um, focus as I left Georgia Southern, when when I came to Clemson at first, I I didn't work with football for my first year and a half, maybe two years. Um, When I, I came to Clemson, as a court, an academic coordinator and worked with um, track and field, men's soccer, and men's tennis. Um, so I actually got away from football to come to Clemson to work with Olympic sports. And, um, yeah, I think it, it definitely did. You, probably the way it helped me most, and probably answer this in two parts, um, Georgia Southern helped me tremendously just for the career opportunity and then the opportunity to wear a lot of hats. Um, and I know you you know this at a, um, a probably lower resource institution, not by any means, you know, just compared to a Clemson where you have 23 full-time staff from coordinators to learning specialists and student-athlete development. When, when you're at a smaller staff or lesser staff place, 
you wear a lot of hats and you get a lot of great experience and you get to see things through a different lens, which has definitely helped me and probably um, in working with my boss or other people, be able to provide perspective outside of Clemson to think outside the box and problem solve because um, sure, people think, all right, a place like Clemson, you can just throw money at a situation. Well, you need to be able to creatively problem solve situations first and not just assume money's going to fix something. So that time at Georgia Southern when um, you know, financial support wasn't abundant in academics, we had to figure it out. And you had to work hard by yourself or with one other person to get things done. And there wasn't delegation to be had. Um, so it, that taught me a lot. Um, as I started working with the Olympic sports here at Clemson, I really just was able to fine tune kind of my professional style, um, focus on um, being an advisor and not having to wear so many hats, um, which was a tough transition. You know, you're not asked to do as much. It's like, nope, you're just the academic guy and be great at it. Um, so that that was that was a good transition for me and kind of taught me to be an expert kind of at my craft and not worry about everything else. Um, and also the huge benefit was for me, I think, working with men's soccer more than any other program just because the head coach was so um, inclusive and welcoming to me and involving me in staff meetings, um, recruiting process. Like his, you know, he, he wanted everyone in on his team, so to speak, not his players, but like his support staff team to have a voice and to give him input. So I had opportunities to, to brainstorm with him and the assistant coaches and the ops and the athletic trainers on, on you know, what the program needed, whether it was from recruiting or how to handle discipline situations or the playing time, um, anything. Um, but it really opened up my eyes and kind of gave me an opportunity to see a big time program from angles other than uh, just academics. So that that was really helpful to me and probably helped a lot as I transitioned into football later on. Yeah, and you know, speaking about wearing multiple hats and working with sports other than football has helped develop you professionally and there's a lot of young professionals out there that want to get into this industry and they want to work primarily with football. And then once they start to work primarily with football, they want to continue to climb the ladder and not just be a football academic advisor, but be in a position such as yourself. Uh, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to these professionals that want to have a role such as director of football academics at a Clemson university. Yeah, that, you know, not to ruin it for the uh, the listeners, but you know we did send the questions ahead of time. So this is one I put a little thought into, just kind of having three points. And um, I kind of mentioned this already. It was what I did when I first came to Clemson. I, I think it's so important not to to look too far ahead. It's very important to be aspirational, but be great at where you are first. Um, it, you know, this is a Coach Sweeneyism, and I'll probably share a couple more as we keep going. But you know, bloom where you're planted. You know, like where your feet are. You know, that's where that's where you got to be great. And so, for young professionals, I'd say, you know, just commit to being a great advisor first. 
and like when I'm talking about being an advisor, um, really talking about the curriculum, the university requirements, and the eligibility rules and implications. Um, because no matter what sport you end up working with in the academic world, you have to be great at that first because the other stuff doesn't matter. And if, if you really take care of business there and you show that you're an expert of your craft, the future opportunities will present themselves. I, I firmly believe that. So that, that would be my first bit of advice is be great at where you're at by focusing on being a great advisor. It's, it is a skill and you need to kind of practice that craft. So that, that would be number one. Um, my second one is kind of the antithesis of your question, but um, don't, chase um, don't chase a title or a status. Um, I, know, I know it is the aspirational feeling of most in the profession, maybe to, uh, this may not even be the case, but many think, oh, I have to get to a power five, I have to get to football, I have to, you know, that, that's when you make it, whatever, the, whatever you want to look at it as. Um, if you're always chasing the title or chasing the status, again, you're probably missing out on opportunities to really make an impact where you are. And when you're looking for opportunities, because that, that is going to come up, you know, at, at some point, you know, either if you are aspirational, which hopefully you are, or you become stagnant or have a, something happen in your life where you do need to search for a job at a different institution, make sure you're looking for growth opportunities and upward mobility in those moves. And even if it's at your home institution and you're just trying to, you know, make changes there, when you're talking to a boss or a supervisor, whoever it is, ask for opportunity and responsibilities from the supervisor, not just the title or the money or the salary raise. Um, again, just like I think being great at what you do, um, if you seek out more responsibilities um, and opportunities for growth, usually, more often than not, you're going to be rewarded for that, and the title, the money, whatever else will come after. Um, it's kind of the unfortunate thing about the academic world, like, you know, they're not just throwing money out left and right and promoting people all over the place, but if you seek out those opportunities and you've done good or great at your base line duties, then the promotion and everything else will come. And then specifically to working with football, um, best advice I can really give is you got to be ready to, to just stand firm with guys. Um, and I don't mean to paint any kind of bad picture about certainly our program or, or the, I guess, public perception or stigma of um, high-profile student-athletes, but you got to have a thick skin and you got to be tough and just know that football players are used to being coached hard. And at some point, that has to or should become a part of your toolbox and your skill set as an advisor is to be able to provide hard coaching. Um, that, that's what the guys respond to. Um, it doesn't always have to be that way. I'm not running around the office like, you know, Venables is on the sidelines and, you know, hollering at people. Like, that's not my style, but the guys – appreciate wants, straightforward, no pretense or beat around the bush, honesty and advice. And if they know you're genuine and coaching them hard like they are in the field, it's going to translate and be better. You, you, can't, you can't assume or be passive when working with a high-profile sports. You have to be assertive and direct with 
the student athletes you work with. That's my three. I could go on probably more, but that's my top three. Those are awesome. Um, And, you know, one of the things you mentioned was you have while doing that as well, uh, not just be a mimic of the coaches that the athletes work with on a different level athletically. Um, and also, you know, working with the men's soccer team when you first got to Clemson and having that type of coaching staff really welcome you and support you. There's different types of coaches, obviously, that work with you at different types of levels and different interaction. Um, but overall, how do you think academic support staff can best support the coaches that they work with, regardless of whether or not it's football or a Olympic sport? Yeah, this, this one kind of goes two ways. I'm, I'm going to look at it first through the lens of um, my current role in football, and, and this is even just specific to the staff we have, because my answers may be very different from somebody at another institution. Um, but I think it is important to be able to handle um, issues on your own. Um, I think we have to respect that the coaches' jobs, now certainly they have a responsibility for these students. They recruited them here. Um, They should feel responsible for their success and want to support them academically, socially, personally, and, and so forth. But they have a job that, you know, 95% of it has nothing to do with academics. Um, and now the coaches don't want to get, obviously they don't like bad news, they don't like surprises, so you need to report, you need to have a good process in place for all those things. But they'll appreciate so much if you can handle issues on your own. Um, like I, I try as best I can, unless it is a student that I can't reach, um, if it is a student that is not, you know, responding to me or anyone on our staff and is flat out, you know, defiant and has like a high level of risk that we're worried about, I'm going to try and handle it as much as I can before I involve the coach. And that's not to protect the student from the coach's discipline or anything like that. That's that's out of respect to the coach and the job that they're tasked with across the street. I say that across the street for us because that's where they are. Um, you know, they – it becomes, if you're going to them with every little thing, it, I feel like they at some points may think that you can't handle them on your own and don't have trust that you have it under control. Um, when you do handle it and things work out well, then they have more of a respect and appreciation for, for you that you know if you're supporting the program in that way. Because every time they have to, you know, call a kid in about academics or, you know, missed class or, you know, that takes them away from, you know, a game plan, a recruiting call, watching film, whatever, what their day-to-day is over there. So we really try and handle that as best we can. Um, that, that'd be how I think you can best help your coaching staff is to, to be assertive and handle the students on your own without, you know, trying to turn the responsibility over to the coaches all the time. Um, and then just to piggyback on that a little bit, really you got to figure out what 
I don't. This is kind of unfair because it's you know we all should be able to have our own style that works for us. But you got to figure out the culture of your team or your sports that you're working with because you're an extension of it, and in some way you have to mirror and support that. And I, I know we're going to get probably more into that as we go. But um, you know if if your coach has a you know a certain way they uh, certain language they speak or certain um, you know, motivational tools or phrases that they use that are common, you know, that the students are used to hearing, embrace that. Um, it, you know, we're an extension or can be an extension of the program that we're working with, just like the strength staff, just like the training staff, just like nutrition or anybody else. So the more you can be in line from a, from a value standpoint or a messaging standpoint, Whatever it is, I, I think that really helps the coaching staff, and it also helps the students because they're getting consistent messages from the, the professional staff they're working with. Yeah, and that's something that you've mentioned during a previous conversation with me is, you know, you kind of have to send the same message as the head coach does through academics. Um, and can you elaborate more on, you know, why you think that that's so important and maybe just one or two tips for others that are new to the profession on on how they could do that. Yeah, I I just think it's it's most important um, to it, here, here's where it's hard probably in our profession and, and other support areas. Um, you know, you get the students that come in, and it's not always going to be great for them. You know, they're not always going to be happy, you know, there's going to be issues, whether it's playing time or injuries or homesickness or whatever else, um, you, you can't undercut what the coaches are saying. Like if, if the kid's complaining about playing time or something like that, you can't boo-hoo with them and say, yeah, you're right, or yeah, coach did you wrong. You, you got to turn it around back on them or at least direct them back, like, well, have you had this conversation with either your coach or a GA or somebody that you trust, like how can you improve or what are they really looking for to get more specifics? Because once you get on the other side of that, then you're, you're kind of hurting that student's chances. You're giving them a place to – it's one thing to be supportive and empathetic and be an ear, but if you enable the, the negative attitude – then you're hurting that student and you're ultimately hurting the program as well. So try and avoid that. Um, you know, just as far as you know, what to do as a professional in those, in those situations, um, as much as you can or as much as you're allowed, you know, try and be around the team in team settings. Um, you know, hopefully people are, you know, have some sort of academic meeting with the coaching staff and you'll get a vibe for how they – you know, how they talk, how they, you know, what their values are, what their messages to the team, what they think of guys, all that stuff. But also be at practice. You know, listen to, you know, the post-practice, you know, talks that the coach gives. Um, you know, if you have chances to go to team meetings, even if not every day, often, you know, to hear kind of what the goals of the team are. Because um, if you can wrap all that together, um, when the students come in, like, yeah, that you want them to feel safe and that they're separate from math, you know, their athletic world when they're doing the academic stuff, but you also want it to, them to understand that this is an extension of that. 
the, the success, the goals, the vision, um, everything that you're trying to aspire for athletically, we're trying to aspire for athletically. And, I mean, I'd be a fool not to embrace everything Coach Sweeney says. I mean, he's obviously had tremendous success. I think he's one of the best leaders of anything <laughs> in, in pop culture, so to speak, right now. Um, like, hear those messages. You know, take them and use them. You know, translate them to an academic setting instead of an athletic setting because everything he does is about, you know, being a winner in life and being excellent in life, and school is part of it. And so I, I really just try and soak that up and, and use that with the guests, whether it's individually or in the, the team settings I get to speak to him at. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, <clears throat> When it comes down to working with a coach such as Dabo Sweeney, the messages that he sends has more meat to it than what you might be able to see at other programs. And, you know, you get to experience the stuff where ESPN isn't in there, but what others have been able to see just by seeing him on ESPN um, and his interviews and everything, he has important stuff in there, and he truly cares about not just winning games, which he's very great at, but also everything else involved in life. Um, yeah, and absolutely. He's, he's 100% genuine. Um, there's um, there's no coach speaking that. I know you know a lot of you know friends or family ask me like, "What's Dabo really like?" You know, I saw this interview. I'm like, "No, that's what he's really like." <laughs> that's you know, that's not yeah. a it's not an act at all. And um, yeah, obviously that matters. You know, it has to be genuine. Um, if you don't believe it and, you know, kids, you know, especially at this age, one thing they're, they're better at than anyone is, is knowing if you're genuine or not. They know if you're, if you're, you know, using them or not honest or whatever it is. So um, that, that makes the world a difference. And, um, you know, to have his support as far as the values that he places on education and graduation and, you know, being prepared for life. Um, you know, his. You know, I'll share this with you. His, you know, his program values. Um, like number one is graduating players. Like that's graduation is number one. Um, number two is to prepare you with the skills you'll need for life. Um, and then down the road is all the stuff about winning games. You know, it, it's about your college experience. It's about having tools that you can use professionally outside of athletics, and it's about graduating. And that's part of – that's just in his veins. Um, it, it's in everything he talks about. It's it's a very consistent theme in all of our recruiting, whether it's individual or group events. Um, you know, to know that and to be so forward with it, you know, from the families of the recruits to the prospects themselves – you know if you're coming here, you're getting a coach that's really serious about you leaving here with a degree. And you got an academic support staff that is going to do everything it takes to make sure you have the resources to get it done by the time you're trying to go pro. So, um, yeah, it, we've got the best support in the country for sure from a head coaching standpoint, and we just, we're just riding that wave with them. <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. And, it, and it speaks volumes too because there was – Kristen Wilkins, who was obviously drafted in the 
first round by the Miami Dolphins, and you know he's he's one heck of a football player, but he also won what I'm drawing a blank on the name, but for those that are listening, it's the Heisman of being a student athlete, right? Right. Yeah, the Campbell Trophy. Um, so it's from the National Football Foundation gives annually to the top football scholar athlete and um yeah christian was he was a great one um graduated his, finished his undergraduate in two and a half years um did that with the intention uh, or with the thought in mind that you know he may come out after his junior season but wanted to make sure he had his degree in hand when that time came um so graduates and then decides it would be in his best interest professionally to come back for one more year of of uh, her senior year of eligibility and enrolled in a, a master's program and then overloaded courses to get that done in a year. Um, so just work ethic, great kid, um, obviously, you know, intelligent and, and had all the tools it took to be successful, but used the resources. I mean, you don't, I mean, you can be very bright <laughs> to and, and pass all the classes, but to navigate that kind of curriculum and, the, you know, overload schedules falls spring summer year after year um, he knew that he had to take advantage of, of resources even if just for um, you know I don't want to say emotional support but just guidance you know and talking through situations and some counseling or the accountability of hey you know make sure you got this done and you know you got a lot going on whether it's practice and film and media and traveling to this banquet or whatever it is um, he knew that he had to kind of have a home base academically as well. And that when you have leaders like that, um, just like we had Deshaun was a great one before him, the same way, he took advantage of the academic resources. The young guys just freshmen come in and, hey, Christian, hey, he's already graduated. He's working on his master's and he's still in the academic center working, you know, two, three, four days a week. That's what we do here. Um, so that having those kind of role models within the program really helps for kind of frame it out for those freshmen and they're trying to learn their way. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that really sets the trend for that and is a great example of, you know, those players really setting the stage is the fact that you guys have broken um, your guys' own record for APR in back-to-back years, um, and that comes down to the fact that these guys, unlike the stigma that surrounds some football teams where, you know, coaches have guys that are just great students, but they can't play football, these guys are, you know, first-round draft picks, and um, Deshaun has shown strides that he's going to be winning a Super Bowl pretty soon, but uh, what are some of the key factors that you think have uh, assisted with the uh, accomplishment of being a record breaker year after year for APR? Yeah, I think there, there's a couple things that go into it. And I know you mentioned kind of we broke our own team record for that, that APR score two in a row. But I mean, we've been on a hot streak, I think, eight out of nine years now. Um, we've earned the NCAA Public Recognition Award for APR being the top 10%. So it's it's certainly not a new thing, um, but I think, I mean, I, I, hopefully everyone in the business recognizes that, you know, APR is not just an academic number. Um, so 
consistency in, in the coaching staff is a huge, huge component of that. And obviously when you've got someone like Coach Sweeney and the values that he imparts in the program, that that's key factor number one. That's where the consistency comes in year after year. Um, and as far as kind of in the recent years, um, you know, you're not losing guys when you're winning, <laughs> you know, most you know, I know APR, you got your eligibility component, and then you also have your retention component. Um, I'll talk to the retention first. Most of that is a satisfaction measure of your student-athletes. Um, you know, are they are they staying? You know, are they transferring? Um, when we're on a hot streak winning, you know, people want to stay. Um, they're having a great college experience here. They want to stay. They have great opportunities for professional development and internships, and they have a coach that, that treats them right. Um, another Sweeneyism, you know, serve their hearts, not their talents. So he, he really cares about the guys, and that, that makes them, um, where in some other situations or other universities, students may say, you know, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. Guys want to be here, and um, obviously we have a great academic support staff and resources that um, have allowed us to really work on graduation in a way that if you're here throughout your eligibility, you're going to graduate. Um, we, we just, there's too many checks and balances. We, we have enough resources. We have people that care and students that care. You know, if you're here three and a half, four years, you're going to have a degree. Um, there's, and I tell that to recruits and tell it to their parents. I'm like, if you stay, you're leaving with a degree. Um, there's only, in Coach Sweeney's time here, I think only four or five guys who have played four seasons of football who didn't leave with a degree. And all but one of them are playing in the NFL, and the other guy just has one class left that we're just trying to get him back on campus to take it. So the 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 expectation of graduation while you're here is just evident. So the whole retention component of APR, I mean, it's just locked down based on culture. It really is. And then from the eligibility standpoint, and I guess that's where we have a bigger stake, it comes back to being, like I said earlier, you got to be an expert at it. Um, there, there's no excuse in my mind, at, especially at our level with, the resources we have, the tutoring services, the grade check process we have, like, like we're tasked with making sure these guys are doing what they need to do, and if they're not, you better act on it. That's it. Um, so that we haven't, knock on wood, I mean, we just got through the spring, we're good. We haven't had an ineligible football player for six hours or 18 hours or PTD or GPA in four years. And the last time it happened, it was, you know, actually a couple guys who did decide to transfer, and they just didn't finish up their coursework and hurt themselves in the process. So, like, if you're here and you're in the system, like, we're going to make sure you're getting the support and you're going to be in good shape. So, I mean, and that's my expectation of, of my staff and the people I work with. Like, eligibility shouldn't be a question. Like, I, I'm not saying that guys aren't going to struggle or hit some hard classes at times, but we we better be experts at what we do and make sure that they, you know, have balanced schedules and support services in place. And if they are struggling, deal with it. You know, make sure that, that you're adjusting, whether it's the tutoring support or 
Uh, if they just need a hard conversation or if that's the time you do need to involve a coach, um, I, I don't want to lose any eligibility points. That's that's my goal. I, I never want to have a meeting and we say, what's the APR score this year? And we say, we're down because we lost eligibility points. That's, that's to me, in our world and our setup and our resources, that's inexcusable. Right. And, you know, one of the other things about that, retention piece is nowadays uh, not only will you be leaving with a degree but you're also be leaving with a national championship ring it seems like so uh, at least one if not more um, and you know that that APR score in eight out of nine years public recognition for top 10 percent is phenomenal but another thing that's phenomenal in regards to your guys APR score is that you guys are uh, one of only 10 FBS teams to produce a 985 APR score out of 1,000 um, in each of the past two years. You got some teams in there that are good, but definitely not as great as, you know, Clemson, such as Northwestern and Stanford. But uh, how would you advise other professionals in a similar role as yourself being director of football academics to set marks similar to this? Um, I, I think it is like, the APR. Um, now, talk about two different worlds. Like when I left Georgia Southern, um, they, I think, were close to, if not at a penalty stage of APR. <laughs> um, uh, there was, again, coaching turnover, you know, lack of retention, and also combined with some eligibility issues. Um, I think back then it was still a 9.25 since, you know, they've now bumped up to a 9.30 as a threshold. You know, so I came from one program where that we're just trying to stay out of the penalty. You can't lose scholarships was what the penalty was at the time. Um, to now coming to Clemson where it's like, all right, we're, you know, we're near the top. Well, now we want to be at the top. So I, I would say for other schools, um, know where you are. I mean, I again, like I, I take great pride in – being in that top 10% every year. I want to, like, I, that's my goal. Um, I, I want to be the best. I, I think they just came out, um, can't remember where I saw it. I think our multi-year rate ranks third right now across uh, FBS programs. I want to be number one. Um, so I, I tell other schools, like, know, or other professionals, know where you are, set goals. Maybe it's just within your conference. And then use that in recruiting. Um, this is a huge piece of our recruiting with student athletes. Um, every, you know, I, I speak on every game day to a group of prospects, and even in individual meetings with uh, recruits that come through, you know, they don't know what APR is. But I tell them we're in the top ten. I tell them we're the only team, you know, in the country to, you know, win a national championship or two national championships and have, you know, those scores that we do. And that we're the only one of a few, like you said, to have that over the last few years. Um, like we have all that stuff, like keyed up in stats and graphics and everything else, and we sell that. And you know, my kind of pride and competitive nature wants to stay at the top of that. So I, it is a, something that's, you know, it's not like we're telling the our current student athletes like, oh, you're going to lose a retention point. Like they don't need to know, but. Like my staff, staff knows and knows it's important and knows it's part of the football recruiting machine, and we want to make sure that we're giving them academic results that they can use to keep the program at a high level. 
Um, so I, I'd say every academic support staff, you know, find whatever those academic positives are, whether it's a graduation rate, an APR, a team GPA, you know, number of students on the honor roll, whatever it is, like make those bragging points and, you know, if you have a graphics, you know, staff and, you know, your, your communications department or if a football program has somebody, use it. Um, use it big time because the more public it becomes, like you can't break a goal if you don't set it. So you got to know what the numbers are and know what the competition is and um, use it, you know, definitely use it. And if I were on the low side, you know, I, I wouldn't be afraid to, to say that either, say, hey, you know, we're sitting down here in the 940s or 930s, you know, if we're going to be competitive with these other schools, like where are we losing our points? You know, is it retention? Is it eligibility? If it's eligibility, we got to shore up our, our academic programs. If it's retention, you know, what's the reason for it? What, how can we support these students? I mean, it, it should be a part of the conversation. Um, you know, numbers aren't the be-all, end-all things, but, you know, the result does stand for something. And if you drill down into, you know, how the, how the number popped out, then, you know, you're going to, you should have something to work on or at least something to maintain. Right. And there's always room for improvement for those that are trying to strive for Clemson um, marks. And it seems like it's either Alabama or Clemson every year. And, you know, a big part of Clemson, like you mentioned, is the number one goal is graduating guys. And that APR score is a reflection of that. But besides that, I mean, you guys have just had a phenomenal year both academically and athletically. Everyone knows that you guys won the national championship game. Um, you guys were the first 15 and O team since 1897 for major college football. Uh, you guys recorded program records for team GPA and most student athletes to record a term GPA of a 3.0 or better. In addition to winning the American Football Coaches Association's Academic Achievement Award for the first time in school history, what has this experience been like with you being the primary overseer of academics for the football team? It's been, it's been fun. I mean, it's been an awesome awesome time to be here um when we won the first national championship in tampa um i remember you know leaving the hotel the next morning and, and saying to um, my colleague luke caesar who works football with me and saying said man this might be as good as it ever gets and honestly i, I think we broke the team gpa record that semester too and i was like man like everything's just clicking like we might never have a moment this great again and then this basketball, we did even better and won the national championship in 15 and 0. So, I mean, kind of said it before, we're just kind of riding the wave. Um, it, it's just the, the standard, and this is a, a coach Sweeneyism. His his mantra, and it's plastered on the walls of the football facility, is best is the standard. All right, and I know you kind of said early on, talking about setting the standard academically and kind of bring that Coach Sweeney best is the standard mentality to the academic world. Um, I, I don't want to say I feel pressure. There's not an external pressure, but I put pressure on myself. Like, 
their national championship football team, I want what we do to match. All right? I, I don't want anyone to say they're a national championship football team, but they're just a football factory academically and the guys aren't getting valuable educations and yada, yada. Like, I, I never want to hear that. So for me, it's a, you know, intrinsic motivation, you know, applied pressure to myself. Like, like I want to win, you know, I want to be a part of it. Um, not just because I work at football, but I want to like know that I'm contributing in a tangible way. And by kind of helping and guiding these guys to, you know, use that football mantra, best is the standard, and that mindset, and try and keep them locked in academically. Um, it, I mean, it, it's it's just cool. I mean, it really is. It, it's been an awesome experience to be a part of it and to kind of help guide it and be, you know, a piece of that. You know, when they have, and Coach Wien does such a great job of this, you know, he'll be the first in a, you know, in a press conference after the national championship to say, yeah, we just won a national championship and, um, you know, had, you know, most 3.0s and yada, yada. But he'll brag on, but I think we had the most graduates on the roster of a bowl team this year. Um, I want to say it was 26 guys. So there were, there were 26 guys who played in the national championship who had already earned their degree. Like that it matters, you know, and it, it speaks to the culture and it speaks to the program that Coach Sweeney's built. So to be a part of that um, and knowing that what he is able to promote publicly and, you know, just to our, to our donors, to our fans, to recruits, um, to know that academics are such a huge bragging point for him in this program, it, it's, it makes working here special. It really does. Yeah, and one of the things, too, is that uh, not only do you guys beat Alabama on the gridiron, but I just looked it up, and it seems to be that you guys beat Alabama in APR as as well. So, you know, you've got to beat the best to be the best, right? So, so that is phenomenal. Um, and I think that's also why you guys have a lazy river for your guys to – Calm down and rest. Uh, there's no way forever. It's just a really, really big uh, ice bath. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so one of the nicest football facilities out there, and it comes down to becoming the total student-athlete, not just the football factory. Um, right. And, uh, you know, that culture that's been there, and it's uh, stemmed from Dabo Sweeney, but one of the things that I think is uh, – you're not giving yourself uh, enough credit. You're very humble about it, but your own leadership is definitely there as well. So with that being said, if uh, you could give one piece of advice of building a, a culture for academics, what would it be and why? I, I think the biggest thing, and I, I learned this early, and it's, it's a trap that as academic professionals we fall into often, that to make sure you celebrate successes. Um, I think that's the most important thing you can do, um, whether it's with the individual students. I mean, it might be a five-point quiz that they get a five out of five on. Make sure, make sure they know 
that you recognize that, that, that it's an accomplishment and they did it. Um, you know, so often, um, especially some of these high-profile sports, the student-athletes that, that come in may not have a history of um, great academic engagement or investment coming out of high school, um, but it's not because they don't want to. They just may not have tasted that success. Um, so I, you know, I make sure they know when they do well that I'm proud of them, and I make sure their coaches know when they do well to be proud of them. Um, you know, I've got a you know, big board in my office. You know, every student that's made a 3.0, um, you know, the names up there, and then every semester thereafter that they make a 3.0, it's kind of denoted almost like a helmet sticker style thing. You get you get one for every semester. Um, that some in the football program actually embraced this past season. They get helmet stickers for 3.0s and 4.0s. So some guys have, you know, one. Some guys have four or five. You know, but making it something that the guys know they can be proud of, like all of a sudden they'll they'll start really enjoying the process. You know, because if you've never had success academically before and it just feels like a chore to you all the time. Um, it's it's not going to be a great experience. So um, even guys that that struggle, um, and I, th I think some of where we've been so great as a staff, and this this includes our learning specialists and other support staff that we have here. Um, when you can engage these students to to feel welcome in, in a great environment, it, it means so much that they're willing to come in when they don't have to. And, you know, sometimes I, I can't count the number of times that guys' athletics careers haven't gone the way they anticipated. And they might have been the student that, you know, the coach said coming in, you're going to have to keep an eye on them. They're, you know, such and such a type of student. And they become some of our favorites that spend the most time in here because they, they find a home because they find success. And I, I think really just making sure that doesn't get lost you know, don't get lost in the negativity of this guy missed class or this guy missed this assignment, whatever it is. You know, deal with those things, but promote success more than you harp on failure, and that's going to go a long way. Yeah, and that helmet sticker idea as well as your own board in uh, your office, that's a low-resource but high-impact type of activity that really promotes their own excellence and uh that's something that you don't have to be a uh clemson university in um order to make that happen you can be an fcs school a low a low resource institution what have you and it just breeds that culture that Absolutely. clemson has because yeah i i'm telling you it's it's i thought it was such a simple thing and like i will without fail, have guys at the end of the semester come in when they've made a 3.0, and um, you know, I have to order their nameplates from, you know, the print shop on campus. But they're like, you got my name up there yet? You got my name up there yet? And I mean, we had a guy who, you know, has graduated, um, coming back to finish his eligibility, made his first 3.0 this spring, and, you know, he's not of a position that I work with. Um, you know, he's not my position responsibility, but obviously I know him well. Um, so he's not in my office all the time or regularly enough that I think he'd notice much of that board. But he's like, hey, if I get on that board, now you can get my name up there. And that's just a cool moment. You know, that, that's never thought he was thinking about it, never thought it meant anything to him per se. But, you know, he did it. And, 
he wants his name up there. It means something. So that, that again, like you said, low cost, high reward, um, something that really, really can make a difference for, for the culture. Yeah. And it's because people might not be able to believe that they can get something done until they see others just like them get it done themselves. And then it pushes them to become uh, better. Limits. But um, this next piece is, you know, more just about you as an individual. Um, so about five more questions. Uh, the first one being is uh, what are you learning from the student athletes that you serve and work with? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the first thought that came to mind is that I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, I, I think to, to stay up to speed with the guys, there's a certain level of, um, you, know, you have to be somewhat in tune with what's going on in their world. And uh, it, it gets a little harder the older you get, but <laughs> I'm learning that about myself. Um, but just that, that they care. They, they really do. Um, I, I think there, there's so much outside perception that, you know, the student athletes don't care about their, their academics. They're just here for athletics. Um, again, if you find that right, you know, that you plug into them the right way and, and you know, they find success. Um, yeah, you, you, it matters to these guys. And I think that's one of the things I've really learned over time is it's not, you know, I'm often defending them to people outside of the program or athletics that don't understand it. <laughs> so I think that's been a great, great thing to see about them. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, how, however cliche it may sound, the student portion be comes before the athlete portion. So they take it seriously and it's awesome to see. Um, the next question is, if you could give student-athletes one skill, what would it be and why? Yeah, I don't know if it's a skill so much as a, as a kind of intangible quality would be patience. Um, I, I think everybody is in such a rush. Um, the, the pace of everything in society now is so fast. Um, whether it's, you know, guys coming out of high school wanting to graduate early to enroll early um, or trying to, you know, go pro after your junior season or, you know, even just in a day-to-day, -day, like, you know, wanting more reps or playing time, like just to, to have some patience, um, to, to let situations work themselves out um, with a fair level of assertiveness mixed in as well. Um, uh, there's just a real impatient mindset, I think, in um, probably college students in general of wanting everything immediately. And uh, I think there's there shouldn't be a rush. I mean, college should be a very enjoyable time. You know, whether you're a you know high-profile student athlete or not, just enjoy this process and don't try and rush on with your life because it, it goes quick for sure. Most most definitely, and it comes down to social media. I I feel like most of the time that they just get so wrapped up in that that they feel like they you should be out there 
with their old teammates that are now in the NFL and, you know, making things happen. And they're like, I should be out there as well. But everything, you have to play your process and let it roll. Um, Next one could be a professional inspiration or a personal inspiration, but who is the biggest inspiration in your life currently and why? I think my my biggest inspiration, I don't know if it's not current, but um, just take with me would be my my grandfather, my my mother's father. Um, He's long since passed away, but kind of really frames, I think, a lot of my outlook on life. He was, um, you know, son of immigrant parents, um, never finished high school, uh, one of 13 children, um, you know, World War II veteran, all that. Um, so he, he was very heavily present in my life growing up, and um, a lot of a lot of old-timey values um, were imparted to me through my time with him, and, you know, it, this could be a whole different podcast, but I just when I look at um, you know, some student athletes that are first-generation college students, and uh, to think back to I guess probably close to 100 years ago when my my grandfather was a child, and you know he wasn't didn't have the ability or opportunity, you know he had to go to work to and stop going to high school. Um, you know that's three generations back or two generations back for me, and these students or some students I work with, it's one generation away for them. You know, it's, they're the first generation. And um, just to kind of tie that together, just the values that he kind of put into, poured into our family and then looking at some of the student athletes we have now to know that, you know, they're about to make that jump for their, their lineage, you know, their children's opportunities are going to be so much greater than their own and just as theirs are better than their parents and so forth. So, you know, I I do think about that a lot, that we're not so far removed from, you know, Russian-era grandparents. And, uh, you know, now that there's some students that they're just the first in their family history to go to college and what that might mean for them and their their future families is that, that kind of keeps me going a little bit. Yeah, it's writing your own path and really relying on the history of of others to make those proud, um, and that's so good. Uh, now, this this one's more fun, um, and it's if you had to do a TED Talk on something that you don't do professionally, what would it be? I- I struggled with this one, and I don't fancy myself an expert on anything else, but it'd probably be something food-related. Um, <laughs> I'm a former shot putter and discus thrower, and I I love food more than I love working out these days, but I could just maybe do something on uh, the best beer and wings pairings or something like that. I might, I might enjoy doing that. I would certainly enjoy doing the research to get the presentation, but... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for some, some hot wings and a cold beer, so if anybody that would want to tune in and listen to me talk about that for an hour, I'd be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Well, I want to take some time to acknowledge you and, you know, the leadership that you bring to the football team in such a backstage role 
and, you know, how you're just a source of inspiration for those that you get to work with from an athlete, coaches, and staff standpoint, and just uplifting them to reach the heights that they do and setting that culture. Um, And uh, with the final question, uh, this is a podcast on how to live with virtue. Virtue to me is my own personal brand slogan, and it's uh, an, an acronym that stands for values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. Um, so what is your own definition of virtue, and uh, how do you live it on a daily basis? Yeah, that, I don't know if I can surmise it so well, but I know it. You know, whatever characteristics one has, that kind of holds you to some morality or standards. Um, as I was thinking about this one, and especially kind of being the last question, that kind of it's another Sweeneyism. It's on the the wall in the team room, and it's it says, right is right, even if no one is doing it, and wrong is wrong, even if everyone's doing it. And I mean, that's just a very simple kind of way of saying you you are. And back to our early conversation. You know, it's it's you and the man in the mirror, and you get to make a decision every day um, about how you want to live, the decisions you make, if the choices you make are helping you get closer or further from the goals you have for yourself. So um, to me, just to, I guess, to sum that up would be, you know, having having a clear path to, you know, hopefully virtuous to use the term, but of high moral standards and to make sure that your life decisions are guiding you in a way that you want to be remembered and you want people to know you as. Um, so that, I don't know if that fully answers it, but that's kind of how I was thinking of that one. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Matt, for taking out the time in uh, your busy schedule because, as we all know, football never ends and um, – you now have guys in summer school, so I just want to thank you and uh, look forward to connecting again soon. Absolutely, and thank you, Jack, for the time and kind words, and um, I, I do appreciate having this opportunity. Thank you a lot. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. Take care. Truly hope that you were able to gain some valuable insights on how to build a culture of excellence, both academically and athletically, for my interview with Matt. Be sure to stay on the lookout for future episodes with Maureen Tremblay from Georgia Tech and Lacey Carmen Johnson from Purdue. Till next time, continue to live a life with virtue.